I like Leatherface, man. I really do. Leatherface is... He's one of those characters in the horror universe, in the slasher subgenre, that really doesn't... He doesn't get the credit he deserves, I feel like. And he should, because he's actually a human being. There's nothing supernatural about him. He's just... He's just huge. He's huge. He's fast. He's motivated. And he's got a big-ass chainsaw. You know, he's good with a chainsaw. He's good with his household appliances, his hooks. And he's good with his trusty sledgehammer. So, one, you know, one, that's one of the things that I love about Leatherface is that he knows how to wield that that chainsaw, man. He knows how to pick up some speed and get his, um, you know, get his Usain Bolt on with that heavy-ass chainsaw on his hands. Like, he's always on your ass. No matter if it's the chainsaw from the original movie, uh, which by today's standards looks kind of small, or whether it's what they call, quote unquote, the Cadillac of chainsaws that was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. I think that might be the biggest one they've had in the series. And it's it's a sexy ass chainsaw. Like the model is just all chromed out. It looks crazy, man. But yeah, man, he's he's good with his signature weapon. You know, one of the best at it. One thing Leatherface is not good at that I don't give him a pass on at all is continuity in his movies. Yeah. Anybody that keeps up with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, y'all know I am telling no lies whatsoever. As far as the continuity goes in these Leatherface movies, man, these Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, this continuity is, is it's damn near non-existent. And it, the, the the timeline is just all over the goddamn place. You know, th- this is why I credit horror, horror franchises like Saw. That's the one franchise in horror history for me, unless somebody out there can prove me otherwise, that has damn near perfect continuity. The storyline is very intact. You know, you... It'll keep you up to speed on what happened last time. People, returning characters will come. Uh, they they clear shit up basically, man. But with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, this shit's all over the place. It's it it always has been really. You know, even from I want to really say from the you know even when the second movie came about. But there's a little bit of continuity there that I will definitely jump into. But as far as consistency goes, it's, it's just, it's, it's damn near non-existent, man. Like they, they, it's like they make individual movies, like standalone films. It's like none of these movies could like, you know, to the naked eye, all of these movies can literally stand on their own and they have nothing to do with the movies that came before it. With the exception of the remake and the prequel, cause they go hand in hand. Um, and the bad direct sequel to the original film, which I will talk about also. But as far as the 1974 classic is concerned, it's a classic for a reason. You know, it's not Oscar worthy acting. I mean, it's 1974. It was around those time. I think it, I can't remember if this movie came out before The Hills Have Eyes and um, Last House on the Left. But that was around a time when horror movies were, you know, people were comparing them to snuff films because they felt like either documentaries or just real footage that, um, you know, somebody shot with a bunch of crazy people and a bunch of murders. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was definitely one of those movies. You know, it's it's in my top 10 scariest movies ever because it's just something really relentless about the character of Leatherface. You know, the family members are one thing 
and they're crazy as hell and their performances are good you know there's been different character or different actors playing and actresses playing the family members i'll break them down also but for the most part leatherface being the the main character you know our our cinema slasher is something really relentless about that guy he's persistent he's he's scary as shit he doesn't talk he's just hell-bent on killing and eating basically but that's what he did and you know toby hooper uh, brought that character to life in 1974 and him and uh his writing partner kim hankel they you know the dialogue isn't isn't anything epic in a movie it's all a, like honestly the movie can really be a silent film it could be no dialogue at all and i feel like everything will be understood you know exactly what's going on in the movie um that's how good that movie is but you know, like I said, the lines aren't anything great. The acting isn't anything great. I mean, Marilyn Burns, I will say one thing about these actors and these actresses. When you if you listen to like commentary and watch the documentaries, you know, in retrospect and or the, uh, the filming of these movies, you see that they filmed under really fucked up conditions and they put these actors through the ring, especially Marilyn Burns. Like they said that some of the blood on Marilyn Burns, who plays the main girl, Sally Hardesty in the original movie. They said some of the blood that's on her at the end of the movie where she's like all stir half crazed running from nubbins on the road. They said some of that blood is real. Like it's really hers because she cut herself filming a, a certain part of the scene. And that just goes to show that, you know, Toby Hooper wanted that shit to he wanted it to he wanted that grindhouse feel. He wanted it to feel as real and just grainy and gritty as possible. And I, I really can't remember how many of these actors and actresses have passed away. I know Marilyn Burns passed away. Uh, Paul A. Uh, I said Paul. Paul A. Partain, who played her brother Franklin, the guy that was in the wheelchair. Duh, he's passed away also. Um, Jim Seedow, who played the cook, you know, the, the father figure type, he's passed away. Uh, rest in peace. Shout out to them. But the other cast and, you know, members are Alan Danziger. William Vale, Terry McMinn, Edwin Neal, Gunnar Hansen, he also passed away. Rest in peace, shout out to Gunnar Hansen, who actually played Leatherface in um, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But like I said, the movie is it's a classic, but you don't go into that movie looking for, you know, some stellar performances or anything like that. You know, by the title alone, you should have a pretty good idea what you're getting yourself into. And even if you do. You're still not in, you know, you, you have not strapped your seatbelt in safely enough for what you're probably going to see in that movie because it's just, it's a shocking ass movie that's going to leave its mark on you by the time you're done watching it. That's something I can damn near guarantee for any first time, you know, viewers of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So if y'all haven't seen the original 1974 classic, you definitely got to do it. Now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 came out in 1986. And as far as continuity goes, because that's kind of my main thing here in this episode and, you know, timeline references, it, there's some continuity there. It is, you know, Toby Hooper came back to uh, direct L.M. Kit Carlson, who I think, you know, that's a very interesting name. Uh, that's the person that wrote the script. And we get Dennis Hopper in the lead role. Well, one of the lead roles, Caroline Williams, Jim Seedow comes back as a cook. Bill Mosley's in it. He plays Chop Top. He's one of the Bill Mosley's horror royalty. He's played so many, so many horror movie characters. He he was in one of my favorite remakes ever, Night Living Dead. 
um, Bill Johnson plays Leatherface, and Bill Johnson as Leatherface in this movie is a complete. Uh, I I hate to say it, man. It it really is a step down for me. I didn't want to be disrespectful, but it is definitely a step down for me because the the first Leatherface was very. While he's very childlike, he's still intimidating, and you don't want to be in the woods at night while this guy's chasing you with a chainsaw. This Leatherface, played by Bill Johnson, he's he's like childlike, but they cranked it up more than a few notches, uh, probably more than they should have, honestly. It's to the point where I can't take him seriously. No matter how big the chainsaw, no matter how fast the pace of you know how how fast he runs. It just doesn't, it doesn't intimidate me. It doesn't scare me at all. Honestly, for me, when I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Chop Top was the scariest thing about that movie. Um, yeah, he, he, you know, Chop Top, he's got that metal plate in his head. He keeps lighting, you know, he's got a lighter that he keeps lighting the end of this hanger, the hook on the hanger, and he's scratching it and eating the little pieces of skin off of it. This is disgusting. And speaking of disgusting, you got Tom Savini to thank because Tom Savini jumped on board for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 for the special effects. Other than Chop Top, that's the highlight for me here is the blood and the gore. You get to see Leatherface actually take someone's face off with an electric carver. I think he's got, you know, he's cutting the guy's skin off here and there, but he, you see him take someone's face off for the first time. I mean, there's only two movies in, but that was pretty fucking, um, that was pretty disturbing when I saw it for the first time. And the guy's still alive. You know, he's, he, he comes back to life and saves Caroline Williams. He lets her free. Why he has no fucking skin on his face. So it's, it's, it's disturbing. It's, it's, it's creeped out. But it just doesn't. You know, Toby, Toby Hooper went for a real comedic tone in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 on purpose because I think he said in an interview or during some commentary that the humor that he injected into the original movie, people didn't catch on to. So he said, okay, well, if you guys didn't catch it, I'm going to lay it on thick this time around and this you're not gonna be able to take this movie seriously at all it's really campy it's really silly um it's 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 a good sequel as far as continuity goes we got some continuity um in the opening scene you got nubbins who was played by edwin neal you know he was the hitchhiker they picked up in the original movie and at the end he gets smacked by that big ass uh black maria truck at the end of the movie um they have nubbins. Uh, Leatherface is actually wearing nubbins in the in the opening scene of that movie. He's he's like, you know, waving a chainsaw, doing his scare tactic, taunting the, the little preppy dudes in the car, in the convertible, and he's literally wearing nubbins skin. You know, I don't know. I didn't even know it was that much left of nubbins after he got splattered on that uh on that that truck. But nubbins is a good part of continuity, and then you find out. You know, Dennis Hopper is hunting down the family and Leatherface because he's out for some type of vengeance. So you find out he has some type of connection to Sally Hardesty and Franklin Hardesty, you know, the, the, the main chick from the first movie and her brother that were in the wheelchair. But he's calling, you know, he finds Franklin inside the family's, um, you know, they got this underground lair. So he, he goes in there with some chainsaws to go fight the family and he's ready for war. But he finds Franklin in the wheelchair. And Franklin's a goddamn skeleton, straight up skeleton. So that means how many years have passed that Franklin is an entire skeleton wrapped in cobwebs? And not only is he wrapped in cobwebs, but Dennis Hopper's character, Lefty, goes to touch him and his arm drops. He's still got the flashlight in his hand from when Leatherface killed him in the original movie. But when he drops his hand, you know, his skeleton hand, the flashlight kind of turns on 
and then the light just dies. It, it fades out and it just dies really slowly. Now, I don't know what type of batteries they had uh, back in 1974, but however much time passed for Franklin to turn into a skeleton and be wrapped in spider webs, for that fucking flashlight to still even shine that little bit of light on it, nah. Uh, you know, whatever, though. Continuity, shamontinuity, right? And like I said, Jim Cedow came back as the cook. He, Him and Grandpa came back, but I don't think it was John Dugan played by... Um, I don't think John Dugan played the grandpa in the second movie, but you get Jim Cedow and grandpa back. So that's continuity, right? You know, we're, we're doing half decent so far. You know, it's, everything doesn't have to be super tied in. I would rather it would because it makes the story flow uh, a lot better. But like I said, God, who, who gives a fuck about continuity, right? Other than me, you know, just little old me. I'm not asking for much. Then in 1990, we got... Leatherface, which was actually the title, Leatherface, and then the subtitle was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. This is when New Line jumped on board. And 1990, New Line had already had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and they were up to Nightmare on Elm Street 5, if I'm not mistaken, because I think Freddy's Dead didn't come out until 91 or 92. And they were, they had, um, no, they had not had Friday the 13th yet, because Jason Goes to Hell came out in 93, I think. So New Line, they they stepped in and they you know they grabbed up on uh, Leatherface man, which which actually wasn't that bad of an idea, and you know because I felt like New Line back in them it would be dark, it would be taken seriously, you know because the comedic tone from the from the second movie it was like okay this isn't really a horror movie this is more of a it's a horror comedy I don't really want comedy in a movie about a cannibalistic man wearing human skin as a mask with a chainsaw killing people. I don't want comedy in that. Maybe some tension breakers, but nah. Now, Toby Hooper did not come back to direct this movie. Jeff Burr stepped in a director's seat. And Jeff Burr, he ended up doing, you know, Pumpkinhead 2, which is, I think it's an underrated sequel, man. And he's he's he knows his horror movie icons. He's, he's scattered with horror movie icons. I love Pumpkinhead 2. Um... Not even as a guilty pleasure. I just love it as a practical monster movie, creature feature. But before Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Jeff Bird did Stepfather 2. And I remember Stepfather 2, but vaguely. I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to rent that movie a lot from West Coast Video. And I remember, I just remember the mother and the son walking down the aisle and they were just completely fucked up at the end from the, the events of what happened. I don't really remember it. David J. Scow wrote the script and... Once I saw the documentary, I think it's called The Saw is Family. It's the making of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. I felt really bad for David J. Scow because his script got completely butchered by by the studio. So many rewrites and so many reshoots. And the guy didn't even get a chance to to make his, you know, to have what he wanted on paper uh, displayed on screen. And that's one of the things that frustrates me because I'm a writer and I know that if I want to get my feet wet in this in this business side of things, I know that everything I write that I want to see on screen isn't going to be on screen. And that's really, that's real. That's a really tough pill to swallow, man. So, you know, shout out to David J. Scott, man. Cause it's like, you know, writers unite, man. I understand your pain. Now the continuity in this one, first of all, let me, let me just break down the cast real quick. Uh, Kate Hodge is the main girl. She did a great, great job in this. I don't know who I like more out of her and Caroline Williams, as far as a, a, a Marilyn Burns follow-up. But um, Kate Hodge is definitely underrated, man. I mean, they they nailed her hands 
to a wooden chair in the kitchen and she had to literally maneuver her hands off of these nails and you know inflict more pain on herself to escape william butler who was also in night living day remake he's in it he was also in um friday 13th part 7 the new blood he dies in basically everything he's in ken foray who was probably the best part of this movie i liked watching ken foray more than i liked what uh, watched leatherface of course ken foray that's um dawn of the dead 1978 he played peter and Ken Foray is horror royalty too. He's in Rob Zombies, Halloween, he's in Devil's Rejects, all kinds of shit. And for, you know, you kiddos out there or you people that grew up in my era, he was the dad on Keenan and Kel. You can't miss him in that. He's awesome in that. Now, R.A. Mihailov plays Leatherface in this movie, and he's a I I think he's a lot bigger than Bill Johnson's Leatherface from the previous movie. And R.A. Mihailov, the I remember uh, Jeff Burr during the documentary said that he wanted Leatherface to be like a rebellious teenager in this movie and that's exactly what he was the childlike shit they used it far and few in between and when I say that this Leatherface is about business he is he's even got little uh little mini saws in his pockets and shit you know just in case of an emer- you know in case of an emergency type of weapons in this movie man and this is he's cool in it he's scary he's big he's intimidating you got joe unger a young vigo mortison i think that was his first movie vigo mortison was in and from what i hear he bombed at the audition but then they ended up calling him back tom everett jennifer banco jennifer banco was the girl in friday 13th she also was in friday 13th um part seven a new blood she was a uh, young tina and then you got miriam bird nethery who played the mother k and b stepped in to do the effects for this but they you know they really fucked k and b over man i fucking hate the mpaa now what i know without the mpaa we wouldn't have ratings and stuff like that but these special effects artists man they they put so much time and effort into these intricate effects man just to have the MPAA say, no, nah, we have to cut 20 minutes of this bullshit because we don't want to gross people out. And it's like, these motherfuckers are going to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 at that. This is our third go-round. Saying our first rodeo, like, why do you keep doing this, man? Shout out to k because they've always done it. I feel like they were the guys, special effects-wise, that stepped up, you know, in the late 80s, in the, in the, in the, the 90s era, into the 2000s. They're still rocking out. But they were the ones that kind of carried on the torch after Tom Savini, you know, fell back off of effects. Now, as far as continuity goes with this movie, now, make no mistake, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 is probably my most underrated in the series. I love this movie. This is my favorite one after the, the second movie. Or, I, Jesus, I said the second movie. After the original movie, part three is my favorite. Now, while I love this movie, the continuity isn't all there. But there is one piece of continuity that they got that really ties the story back to the first movie. And I just, I adore it. I really fucking do, man. It's Leatherface is limping in this movie. You know, he he hauls ass, but he limps. He, his limp is really prominent. And his limp, not only does he have a brace on his leg, that's a callback to when, you know, the driver of the Black Maria, um, the truck from the original movie, you know, he throws a wrench to kind of stop Leatherface in his tracks from chasing after him and Sally. And when Leatherface hits the ground, his chainsaw falls on his leg and cuts his leg all up. So to see Leatherface have a brace on and have a limp, I don't think a lot of people caught on to that. Because I know when I was a kid and I saw it, I just thought it was a cool ass, you know, like superhero appliance that he had, on, you know, just on his leg just for a fashion, just as a fashion statement. 
but that's actually a callback to his injury from the original movie and it's little small things like that that i appreciate you know david j scow as a writer and jeff burr as a director for for keeping in that movie um grandpa's in it but grandpa's he's a he's mummified man like he get ken foray shoots up he's got an assault rifle in this movie and he shoots up the he shoots up leatherface's house he just airs that bitch out and he's shooting people's fingers off ears he kills the mom um and he's hitting while he's shooting he shoots up you know grandpa's mummified body who they you know they got it sitting at the table and the little girl's feet and you know she's pouring a cup of blood in his mouth but he hits his face and just dust comes out like that's how done that motherfucker is so i you know i guess there's little nods here and there to continuity but it's you know it's it could be as much as i love it it could still be a standalone movie but what we got afterwards and there are parts i love about this next one texas chainsaw massacre the next generation 1995 this thing came out Kim Hankel who was Toby Hooper's original writing partner on the original movie actually wrote and directed this one so I you know I'm like wait this is the person that has something to do with the first movie so this is going to be just as good right and when I asked that question I the only response I got was when the movie was over and the credits were rolling and I was kind of just left there stuck like I don't, I'm not even sure what the fuck I just watched. Like I had, it took me years to appreciate even the smallest things about this movie because this movie is not good, but make no mistake. This movie is not the worst in the series by a long shot. And I know there's a, there's a shit ton of people that will, uh, you know, disagree with me to the high heavens and that's fine. But at least with this one, you know, Renee, Renee Zellweger found herself and, uh, you know, she was the main character, but she she found herself and she became a badass more and more towards the end. The more shit she endured, the more it made her want to run the fuck out of there or put people in check or stand her ground. I like that about her character because she was just such a bookworm. She was this mousy bookworm type of chick, which is cool, but not in a situation that, you know, that's not the type of person you want to be when you up against uh, the, the Sawyer family. But one of the highlights of this shitty movie was Matthew McConaughey. I think this is one. This was one of his earlier roles. Um, of course, he was. In, I think yeah, he was in Dazed and Confused prior to this. But Matthew McConaughey in this steals the show, man. Every scene he's in, every scene he's in, and I don't know if it's a callback to part three, but he's got this mechanical, you know, uh, brace on his leg that's controlled by a remote. I, I'm not sure, but he is a riot literally a riot in this movie the guy's absolutely batshit nuts and it works he's one of the he's one of the top family members in the entire uh texas chainsaw massacre series um robert jacks plays leatherface he gets fuck all to do um all he all he really does is scream and what pisses me off about this he doesn't kill anybody with the chainsaw at all he kills somebody with um I think Leatherface kills one person in this movie. He kills uh the you know the boyfriend of the girl Heather. Uh, his name's Barry. I can't remember the actor's name because I didn't give a fuck enough to write these actors and actresses' names down because I don't I don't care about him. Renee Zellweger, Matthew McConaughey, that's it. But Leatherface kills one person and it's with a sledgehammer. He doesn't kill anyone with the chainsaw at all. Um, you do have a cameo by Marilyn Burns uh, and John Dugan. You know, John Dugan, of course, played the grandpa in the first one. Marilyn Burns plays Sally Hardesty in the first one. Um, you know, he's he's wheeling her on a gurney in the hospital when Renee Zellweger survives at the end. But 
you know that's not continuity. They just put that in there just to put it in there. Now, I don't know if that was supposed to, if Marilyn Burns was playing Sally Hardesty, because even when you look in the credits, she's not, they don't credit who, who the character she's playing. It just says, you know, they, they don't, they don't let you know what's going on. So from, in, in my opinion, this movie stands by itself also. There's no reference of what came before it, like any of the movies that came before it, as far as I'm concerned. It, like the movie just, you know, 1995, it, it, they ended this shit badly. So of course, situations like that, you got to go back to the drawing board. So in 2003, we got what is a remake, modern day classic, in my opinion, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. You know, they had to go back to the drawing board. 2003, the remake is basically when this is the movie that jump started the slasher remake craze. This was the one that broke the, the broke the door down for, you know, the Halloweens and the Friday the 13th and the, the Black Christmases and the Nightmare on Elm Streets and the Houses of Wax. And whether they were good or bad, Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, paved the way for the slasher reboot craze. And I'm almost absolutely certain about that. New Line stepped back into the picture and they teamed up with this production company, Platinum Dunes. But they, you know, I was kind of worried because they hired a first time director, Marcus Nispel, and they hired Scott Kozar to write it. The cast was cool, though. Jessica Biel, Eric Balfour, Erica Learson, um, the guy from Snowfalls in it, Jonathan Tucker, uh, Arlie Emery, Ar- Ermy, Arlie Ermy, excuse me, RIP shout out to him. Um... He he's one of the best characters in the entire movie. Uh, Andrew Bynarski, who played, I think I mentioned him in my Street Fighter episode because he played Zangief. He plays Leatherface, probably one of the best Leatherfaces next to Gunnar Hansen and Ari Mihailov. Hands fucking down. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, Andrew Bynarski was he's a beast. He's a bruiser. One of the good. It's not necessarily continuity. It's more so a nice homage they had john larroquette do the the intro you know the when they have the little thing you know the captions pop up and they explain the texas chainsaw massacre john larroquette actually did that in the first movie so they brought him back to do it which was a nice touch now as far as continuity goes i don't really count it because i mean at least not yet because they were clean in house you know this was a this was a complete clean slate for um this was a complete clean slate for the series. So they were starting fresh and they did a hell of a job. This is one of the greatest remakes, like I said, ever made. You know, they they were very true to the original and they stood on their own too. This shit had more. I mean, if you if I'm going to get petty for a second, it had more continuity <laughs> to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre than a lot of the sequels did. But like I said, they were, you know, it was a clean slate. They were doing their own thing. Now, as far as what came after in 2006, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, was a prequel. Now, these two movies definitely go hand in hand. I love that they took notes of how fucked up the series was as far as the timeline, the continuity, everything that went wrong with the series. Because the prequel ties up everything. And, you know, some people complain because it's like, well, I don't want to know how Leatherface got his first face. And I don't want to know how Uncle Monty lost his legs, how Sheriff Hoyt lost his teeth, how he became the sheriff. They explain all of that. In the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to beginning, and is this probably my second favorite uh, entry after the first one? Um, my first favorite entry after the first one would be Part Three, and then, excuse me, then it's the prequel because the prequel gets a lot darker. It's a lot more violent. You see Leatherface; they take it back to uh, Part Two. You see Leatherface cut his face, cut someone's face off for the first time, and wear it. 
And Leatherface looks like mankind. You know, they show how he was born. His mother died giving birth. They threw him in a trash can, for God's sake. So, you know, but you do see Uncle Monty. Leatherface cuts his legs off. That's how Uncle Monty's in a wheelchair in the first one. Um, there's a character, Taylor Hanley, who plays Dean. And he beats the shit out of Sheriff Hoyt um, towards the end of the movie before he dies. And he bashes his face into the, you know, into the porch, into the floorboards on the porch. And his teeth come out. So when you see R. Lee Emery, or Ermy, I keep saying his name wrong. Forgive me, y'all. Y'all know how I am with these damn last names. R. Lee Ermy. There we go. He, you know, when you see him in that. 2003 remake and you see he takes his teeth out while you know morgan's in the back holding his mouth because he just got busted in the mouth with a bottle you see uh the sheriff's teeth are gone but you see how it happens in the prequel so um shout out to jonathan liebesman man he and i I honestly wasn't sure about this guy either because he did darkness falls prior to this movie i didn't like that movie at all be real with y'all I, I did not like it sheldon turner wrote the script shout out to him uh jordana brewster also of course i loved her she's fast and furious alumni she was in the faculty she's in that lethal weapon uh tv show they just came out with too i've never actually watched the episode but um diora baird is in it andrew binarski came back you know uh, the matt matt Bom- bombers in it there's a lot of great stuff in that movie and it's, it's definitely it's definitely really they shit gets dark get dark in that joint y'all it really does and speaking of shit getting dark man i'm talking pitch black dark and i would hate to even use that in reference to disrespect vin diesel for the shit that i'm about to talk about man after that after that bomb ass prequel we got that fire ass prequel that we got we had to wait until 2013 and lionsgate said yo Slatherface doing man let's 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 pop, let's bang out this texas chainsaw 3d now i w- i'm not gonna lie to y'all i was intrigued by this because not only were they doing a sequel it was going to be a direct sequel to the original 1974 classic and i'm like holy shit they're picking up when when sally got away they're picking up from there oh cool i'm with it i'm all for it i was all for it y'all i'm trying to tell y'all i was excited for it there was set uh pictures online surfacing and they started showing um you know the sawyer house and i'm like yo they re- they literally built the house from scratch over and they it, it looks like a spitting image of the house down to um the the swing outside down to the the chainsaw marks in the in the in the front door i'm like yo they are really putting some love into this shit man um john john losenhop who did takers i think he did takers before this i'm not sure but he's directing um i'll save who the writers are i'll save that for the big surprise that this movie gave me so what i got was uh one of the greatest openings i have ever seen in my life now yeah there's there's some things in there that that you know don't really add up but they even had the blood splatter on and these are the scenes that they start when they started filming the new movie they combined it some shit to uh you know in the, in the opening credits to convert it to 3d and you had bill mosley taking over for um jim Seedow because of course he had passed away but you had gunner hansen making a cameo as uh as not leatherface but actually one of the sawyer family members but you literally pick up when right when the movie leaves off you see the blood splatter on the front of the truck when it hit nubbins same truck same truck from the original movie 
like the the attention they paid to detail was was amazing so you know you get this opening where the sheriff gets the call and he goes to uh the sawyer house and when he goes to the sawyer house now now listen y'all just just so i give y'all heads up this continuity is a hundred percent as far as i'm concerned right now the only thing that took away from it was i don't know where these other sawyer members came from and they didn't look crazy they just looked like regular hillbillies you know gunner hansen was one of them i don't know who the other guys were and uh oh also john dugan came back to play grandpa and that was a nice touch so you know the sheriff comes and he's 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 telling um you know Drayton Sawyer, the 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 cook, who's played by Bill Mosley this time around, and you know they they, I feel like I'm 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 getting delirious now because I, I'm 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 I feel like I'm on a uh, I'm going upward right now, but I know that there is a a a black hole that I'm about to step over and just swan dive right into, and just it, it's just going to be really bad from then on out. But the sheriff goes up there and then who pops up, you know, the, the, the rednecks, the townspeople. And they're like, oh, hell no, we're not taking we're not taking Leatherface alive. We're going to kill these motherfuckers. So it's basically a lynch mob with Molotov cocktails and guns and revolvers, shotguns and shit. So there's a big shootout at the Sawyer house. And, you know, basically everyone dies in the fire. The house catches on fire. Everybody's shot. And, you know, they're shooting their guns and hooting and hollering like, yeah, fuck you, sheriff. We're going to kill these motherfuckers. And. You know, you see that steel door, that classic steel door is still closed. So that goes to show you Leatherface is still alive. Now, continuity wise, we are on a roll because the opening's awesome. But then we flash forward because, you know, there's a baby involved and these rednecks steal a baby from one of the Sawyers. She's literally a couple months old. And, you know, they steal that baby and the baby grows up to be Alexandra Daddario's character. Now, not only is this girl like 20 something years old, she should be like 40 something. So this this time frame whatever time frame this is supposed to be after 1974, you know, and then they've got like 1976 or 78. They get the dates wrong in the movie for one, you know, when they when she's looking up new old newspaper clippings and documents and shit. And not only is this supposed to be a, a certain amount of years after 1974, this motherfucker has a one of the police officers has a fucking uh a fucking iPhone. He's got a fucking iPhone and he's like, I don't know if it's an iPhone, but it's a fucking it's a cell phone. It's a cell phone that he's you know he's FaceTiming, literally FaceTiming the uh the mayor, and he's like, you know, let me let me get a visual, let me see what's going on inside that uh inside that Carson house. And the Carsons are a branch of the Sawyer family, but the cops in there and he's he's literally FaceTiming the mayor and the sheriff showing them around and I'm like, yo, like, who's the fucking moron, man? Like who like I listen, I sucked at math in high school, man. In in like period. I hate that was one of my worst fucking uh subjects ever but you know i ain't gotta be no albert einstein to know that this shit is wrong this don't make no sense y'all you know y'all started off strong but you blew your load too early and not only does this fucking plot not make sense but the numbers ain't adding up for me jack they're not you know like you know nothing against alexander daddario i actually like her man you know a lot of people hate baywatch i loved her in baywatch trey songs is in it nothing against his music i don't necessarily want him in a in a fucking texas chainsaw massacre film and he didn't even die from leatherface he died in a car accident like i'm thinking you're a token black guy you're gonna make something happen nah they just let him shoot pool fuck his girlfriend's best friend and listen to uh bitches in the drinks while he's playing pool like they literally let trey songs listen to his own song 
while he was playing pool in the scene he was in. Like, I, I felt like I just had an inception moment just now. Um, uh, Tania Ramon, uh, uh, Kieran Maliki Sanchez, Dan Yeager plays Leatherface. He, and th- there's no way this guy is Leatherface. There's no way that after all these years, Leatherface is just that structured man. It's, I, I, I don't like him as Leatherface. I, no, not at all. And, you know, um, RIP shout out to Gunnar Hansen, like I said, who came back for a cameo in the beginning. Marilyn Burns came back to play a corpse. Lucky her because she did not have to do much interacting with these goddamn cast members and these crew members who clearly didn't know what the fuck they were doing. You had gold on your hands. Just the idea of doing a movie that was going to have some of the best that could have had some of the best continuity the series had ever seen. You just came off of a remake and a prequel that went hand in hand as far as continuity and timeline and story goes. But you know, you went and fucked it up. And guess who's behind it, y'all? Well, at least one of the people. I did the drum roll a little too early. Kristen Elms is one of the three culprits that wrote this script. Deborah Sullivan is the second. Guess who the last person is, y'all? Let me give y'all some time while I do this drum roll real quick. I'll give y'all a hint. This guy gave us one of the most classic Friday the 13th sequels ever. And I'm lying like shit because it's one of the worst. Adam Marcus was one of the writers behind this shit, man. And I I wouldn't trust Adam Marcus. You know, I, I wouldn't trust him with anything, honestly. I was trying to think of like some crazy metaphor to think of, like so, like something really insulting, but I, I wouldn't trust him with anything, honestly. I, I, I really wouldn't. You know, there's a line in Black Christmas where uh, John Saxon tells one of the officers, he's like, Nash, I don't think you could pick your nose without written instructions. And that's how I feel about Adam Marcus, man. I'm sure he's a great guy. I actually had like a small interaction with him years back over um, a Facebook post. That's only because somebody thought because they tagged him in the post when I was bashing Jason Goes to Hell. You know, some asshole thought because he tagged him in the post that I was going to back down when he actually responded. And he responded and he gave his input of why he did what he did with Jason Goes to Hell. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I can understand the motivation, but your execution still wasn't all that good. Like, I don't give a fuck if you commented and gave your explanation. I still feel how I feel about the movie, you know, and, and, and it is what it is. You know, I, I, you had gold that you just you fumbled it, man. And continuity all out the goddamn window all around, man. Now, did we learn? Did we learn? We didn't have prequels and sequels and direct sequels. Have we learned in when we when we got to 2017 with a video on demand release of the movie simply titled Leatherface? Did we learn what a prequel could be and should be? It was directed by Alejandre Bostillo. I don't know if I said that name right, but I feel like I'm I really am getting delirious. I'm starting to do accents and shit. The other director was Julian Mori. Was written by Seth M. Sherwood. I don't know who these motherfuckers are. I actually had faith in this because I'm like, okay, these are unknowns. I don't know who they are, and I don't, I, I don't know what their nationality is. But I'm like, okay, I like foreign directors for um, American-based content because they bring their own little spin into it. Um, Stephen Dorff. When I found out Stephen Dorff was in it playing a deranged sheriff, he was hell bent on revenge because his daughter was murdered. I'm like, oh, bet. I'm cool with that. Lily Taylor, I think, was the girl that played the lead actress. Now, for a continuity's sake, let me just say this before I get into what pissed me off about this movie. 
continuity's sake, yeah. They did all right. Drayton Sawyer's in it. A young Drayton Sawyer. Nubbins is in it. Grandpa's in it. Everybody's young. Nubbins is a kid in this shit. Leatherface is a kid. They show him in the beginning, but you don't know. You know, it's basically these kids escape from an asylum and they take this woman on. A, it's basically they call it, quote unquote, a road trip to hell type of movie, which really is what it was. They were going cross country, just murdering motherfuckers. And it's about four of them. Sam Strike is one of them. He plays Jackson. Sam Coleman, who plays Bud, is uh, one of them. And James uh, Bloor who plays Ike. There's also a girl in the mix, I think, a crazy ass chick. But yeah, they go on this cross-country shit, and I think the what they wanted to do was keep people interested and keep them in suspense as to which one of these kids were, which one of these guys, these kids, were going to turn into Leatherface throughout the movie. Now, while I said they had some characters and the continuity, sure, yeah, that's that's all cute and everything, but nah, man. It wasn't until this movie, you know, I, I went back and watched it and I'm like, wait a minute, you ever watch a movie and you were just completely bamboozled by it the first time because what you got prior to that movie was so bad that you almost were willing to accept anything other than what you got before? Did that make any sense to anybody out there? I really hope it did. Um, what I'm trying to say is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D was that bad that I said, listen, it can't get any worse than this. But it wasn't until I I went back and watched Leatherface again. I said, no, nah, man, I, I've been had. You know, I was tricked into thinking that this movie was better than what it was. And it wasn't. It's not terrible, but it's not good either. There's no way in hell this actor, Sam Strike, who plays Jackson, is the guy that turned out to be Leatherface. This fucking backstreet boy ass looking motherfucker. Got some gotten, you know, he got shot in the face and the car flipped over and that's how, he, you know, he couldn't talk. He was all deformed. His mother had to literally put like a leather strap mask on his face and he couldn't talk. So he would he got accustomed to the chainsaw. He uses it a couple times at the end of the movie. He kills Steven Dorf with it. Nah, man, there's no way in hell that this guy turned out to be Gunnar Hansen's version of Leatherface. There's no way possible. And anybody that hasn't seen the movie. Please watch this shit to understand what I'm talking about because you will not feel my pain otherwise. Now, the actor that played Bud, Sam Coleman, no disrespect to the actor, but they hired an actor for that reason of that stature. He's a heavy set guy. He's a fat guy, but he's tall. He's huge. He looks like, you know, because Leatherface runs a lot, but in uh, the first movie, but this guy looks like had he ran enough, uh, he could have slimmed down just a tad to be Gunnar Hansen. He's bigger than Gunnar Hansen, I'm sure, but I was thinking that was going to be the kid, the guy with the long hair, the big, fat, crazy-looking motherfucker who barely spoke a word in the entire prequel. I'm thinking that was going to be Leatherface, but no, you got the kid who's who's seemingly normal. He's the one that seemed, he acts as though he doesn't even belong in a mental asylum, and you want to tell me that's Leatherface? No, man, it wasn't until I went back and watched it. I said, I got to call bullshit, dog. Nah, dog. I had to get on my Randy Jackson. This is no for me, dog. Fuck no. Y'all bamboozled me. So my main reason, people, to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre timeline and continuity basically is because they announced, uh, I don't remember how many months ago this was, a couple months ago that we are getting what can possibly be a direct sequel, another direct sequel to 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. I don't know, man. I don't. One of the, you know, on the upside of things, there, there, there is a, a tiny little light 
there's a crack in the wall that's showing some light in this dark ass tunnel right now. That is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Fetty Alvarez is producing it. Fetty Alvarez did the Evil Dead remake in 2013. He did um, Don't Breathe. He is currently writing Don't Breathe 2. He wants to do an Evil Dead 2 film, and I hope he does it. Him producing, that's light at the end of the tunnel. Kim Hankel being attached to it and Legendary Pictures involved also, I don't know. But at this point, man, why the fuck not? Who cares anymore? Let's be real. Do we give Do we give a fuck if a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie bombs at the box office or not? Do we give a fuck if a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie comes out straight to video on demand? Honestly, I don't give a fuck anymore, man. And I hate to give up on movie characters like this, but it's like, man, if the movie's good, great. I'll give it credit. But if it's bad, I feel like I'm so drained at this point and I've gotten so much of a roller coaster with this series. Like, it's not even like something where Freddy or Jason, where the movies are can be bad. Those movies are still entertaining at the end of the day. But this series is just like, like I, I don't dislike the series. It's just, man, y'all take me in so many different directions. It's hard for me to give a fuck about what's going on right now. But I will say this. If y'all do go with go through with a direct sequel again, please use the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D as your fucking Bible. Lord, forgive me for even putting those two words in the same sentence. But use it as your Bible to know what not to fucking do as far as picking up after toby hooper's classic you gotta make toby proud man he's gone now i can't even listen to the commentary for texas chainsaw 3d toby hooper produced it i think he produced it I, i'm you know he, he was behind it somehow but i don't even listen to that that version of the commentary because it's like i really want to know why you even back this film it's a piece of shit but now that he's gone just don't just make a movie just to make it man like make it as a yo this one's for you type of thing like but i feel like if if the movie does bad you don't have shit to lose at this point man because the last movie they're just like fuck it we're going to video on demand that's one of the things i took pride in as far as leatherface they didn't take them straight to video i like when the when certain slashers they don't go straight to video Candyman. Had Candyman 3 been a little better, they could have put it in the theater. Yeah, they would have lost money because it wouldn't have been better than the second one. But if it would have been a little bit better than what they gave us, yeah, you could have put it in the theater. When you go straight to DVD, that means all hope is given. It's given up, is what I meant to say. All hope is lost, basically. You know, you, you've given up so much on the fact that this is not quality enough film to have a theatrical release to the point where you're just going to ship it off to make money elsewhere and i really feel like that's throwing in the towel as far as the character's concerned man that's what they did with with hellraiser you know with the character pinhead who's one of the more underrated characters who doesn't you know pinhead's like candy man for me he can lift he, he doesn't have to lift a finger he can be scary in his dialogue you know that motherfucker will talk you into a state of shock and you'll end up killing yourself or some crazy shit like that but you know, I feel like that, you know, they, they they don't have shit to lose, man. They don't. And it's it's going to get it's, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better, man. And that's how I feel. So if y'all want to make a, you know, direct sequel to 1974, fuck it. You know, fuck it. Just go ahead. Put me in that shit. If you ain't going to put me in it, let me write the shit. Let me write it. 
I mean, that's a that's a hell of a task because if people didn't like it. I don't know if I could. I feel like George McFly. He's like, I don't know if I could take that kind of rejection. You know, if people hated a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre direct sequel I wrote, I don't even know if I would want that pressure. Actually, I would. Fuck that, man. I'm confident enough to know that it would be better than the last two movies we got. Um, the Leatherface prequel and the direct sequel, the Texas Chainsaw 3D. Like, I, I know I'm confident. Fuck that. Yeah, I'm confident enough in myself. Yeah. Uh, Legendary. Um, Fetty Alvarez. Uh, who else is involved? Lionsgate. Whoever. Hit me up, man. I'll pen you a sequel. I'll do a good one too. And if not, you know, drop me a line. I'll star in it. Just get just give me a good ass death scene because I know I'm gonna be the token black guy and y'all not gonna have me live. I mean, unless y'all want to. I don't mind going out like a G, but I would wanna survive. You know, I wanna I wanna whoop Leatherface's ass when he don't have that chainsaw. See see what his hands is really like. But it depends on his size though, because that's a big motherfucker. Like if they brought back Andrew Bynarski, yeah, just write me a good ass death scene because my ass is grass, basically. But yeah, people, to wrap things up, man, you know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just, you know, let's be real. It's it's not what it once was. Uh, and honestly, I don't feel like, it, you know, it'll never be what the original was, even even though I like the, you know, the the third movie and the remake and the prequel that, to the remake. Um, it, it will never be a, an entry, whether they follow it up after the first movie, the second, whatever the case may be, if they reboot the whole damn thing again it'll it'll never be what the first movie was you'll never capture that ever again and the i think the most humble part and the best part of making another entry would be to to know to realize that you know when you try to up the ante and outdo the original like way too much you kind of shoot yourself in the foot you have to you have to stand alone don't rely too much on the on the source material you have to use it sparingly don't rely too much on it you know, I'm no filmmaker, at least not yet, but it's like, I, I know enough to know what I know because I know it. So with that being said, people, y'all can follow this podcast. First of all, shout out to the two reviewers, man. I'm gonna shout y'all out early. Uh, I'm almost at the 300 spins. I'm a little more than halfway there, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud and I'm really proud of y'all for sticking with my crazy ass opinions and my crazy ass podcast episode, especially this one, man. I almost didn't make it. If y'all listen back to this episode, y'all can see I was slowly slipping into the Twilight Zone the deeper and deeper I got into these sequels, man, because that's how crazy this uh this series is. But, you know, shout out to the Tudor viewers, everybody that's still listening. Um Catch the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Podcast, Breaker, Radio Public. Shout out to Anchor for trying to get me on different platforms, man. Big ups to y'all. Y'all kind of like me, I guess. Uh, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Romero Tutor. Follow the Facebook movie group, Cinemaniacs. Again, another shout out to the Tutor reviewers, the listeners, man. I'm doing this for y'all so we can, you know, so our love for film can stay alive and all that other good shit I like to talk about on here. But. Yours truly, Romero Tudor, people. Another episode of Tudor Reviews in a can. I'll check y'all on the next one.